Great, great. It's possible that when you get to the gates of heaven that the Lord is going to ask you, what did you do with the outlines I gave you? And the answer that you give could determine where you spend eternity. Do you know what hell is? Hell is a place where you have to listen to a boring speaker all day long with no outline to follow. That, that's how bad it, it could be. It could be a lot worse than this. We are in a series on values that build lasting success in our lives. And today's lesson is going to be a little bit different because we're going to be talking about a value that is actually on the endangered list. And there is the possibility that over the next few years, it could become extinct. And that's respect. We live in a very rude world where common courtesy is not that common anymore. Here's the titles of some magazine articles that I read recently. The Decline of Respect in America. The Age of Irreverence. It seems like respect for people, for personal rights, for the government, for churches, is on the decline. The Bible makes it clear that respect is one of the values that a stable society, civilized society, is built on. And any time we stop respecting people, we stop respecting the elderly among us, that is a civilization that is on the decline. So Peter makes this statement in 1 Peter 2.17, show respect to everyone. One of the basic needs in life is respect. You want to be respected and you want to be treated as a person of value. And so we're going to talk about giving and receiving respect. And it's interesting, it's actually the same thing. The way that you get respect is exactly the same as the way you give it. And so let's begin by taking a look at four reasons why the Bible says we should respect every person regardless of their lifestyle, their behavior, or their beliefs. Now remember, we're talking about respect. We're not talking about approval. Number one is because God made everybody the first reason why we should respect everyone is because God made everybody. This is Psalm 8.5. It says, You, God, made us inferior only to Yourself. You crowned us with glory and honor. I read this in an article. There are no worthless people, only people who do worthless things. The most unlovable person is loved by God. And so the first reason that the Bible says we should show respect to everyone is God made everyone. The second reason 
is because Jesus died for everybody. We owe respect to everyone because Jesus died for every single person. In 1 Peter 1, it says this, God paid a ransom to save you. He paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Now, I may not think very much of a person, but God does because they were worth dying for. And I'm still trying to get my arms around this, this concept, and it's difficult for me that Jesus died for the people who disagree with me, for the people who reject me, for the people who don't care about me. You see, in my own mind, deep in the recesses of my mind, I really want to believe that the Lord only died for the people who agree with me, the people who like me, and the people who care for me. The truth is, He died for every single person in all of the world. And then the third reason we need to show respect to everyone is because it shows that I know God. When we show respect, that says to other people, this is a person who knows God. This is 1 John 4.8 in the Living Bible. If a person isn't loving and kind, it shows that he doesn't know God. For God is love. So love treats every person with respect. And if you take a look at the life of Christ, follow it from the beginning of His ministry to the end, you will see that He showed everybody respect, even the people who hated Him, and wanted to put him to death. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, Love is not rude. What is rudeness? We see it around us all the time. In one word, it's disrespect. If I'm rude to you, it means that I don't care about you. When I'm rude... I'm basically saying, I am the only thing that really matters. Now that brings us to today's top ten list. And the subject today is the top ten rude things that irritate me. Now not all of these are funny. We will just laugh at the funny ones, okay? Number 10, people who phone you and ask, who's this, before identifying themselves, if they're not on your caller ID. Number 9, people who slurp their soup. That's disgusting. I believe soup should be seen and not heard. Eight. People who can't ever make it to church on time. I said not all of these were funny. Why do you think we have 30 seconds when we stand and greet each other? It's so the late people can come in and not be embarrassed. That's one reason. Number seven. People who play 
heavy metal music at full volume on their boombox at the beach thinking you like the same kind of heavy metal music that they do. Okay. Six. Now this is when you're at a restaurant and like you're in the non-smoking section and the smoking section is right over there. This is, this is irritating. People who light their cigarettes and then they hold it back like this to the other booth. You know what I like to do? That's what I like to do with that cigarette. Smack it right out of their hand. You know what I'm talking about? You know that, you know, yeah, give me all the smoke so I can die. Five. People who honk their horn in a traffic jam that's going nowhere, would you tell me the logic and the rationale behind that? And people who live in Atlanta, Atlanta area, say this is something that's pretty common, maybe not too common here. Four. Children that run wild in church. Three. People who litter my door with leaflets, religious or otherwise. Two, people who come from the opposite direction and steal my parking place that I patiently waited for and had my blinker on to tell everyone that is my place. You move on, brother or sister. And the number one thing that irritates me, the number one thing is people who take more than 20 items through the express lane at Walmart. Have you ever come up, been through that express lane with like two or three things? How many of you subconsciously count the number of items in the basket in front of you? How many of you do that? You're up there 21, 22. How many of you like me believe that should be a class one felony? <laughs> Ought to be arrested and taken right off to jail by the Walmart security force. <clears throat> so respect shows that I know God. And then the fourth reason that we need to show respect is because we're going to get back whatever it is we put out. We're going to get back what we put out. This is called the law of the harvest. What is planted is what is harvested. And what you put out is eventually what you're going to get back. So here's how it works. If you want respect, then you have to show respect. If you want to be treated as a person of value, then you have to treat other people as valuable. If you want people to smile at you, guess what? You have to smile at them. There's a passage in the book of Proverbs in the King James Version, it says this, if you want friends, you have to show yourself friendly. Galatians 6-7 A man's harvest in life will depend entirely on what he sows. Here's a key thought. Great people are just ordinary people who make other people feel good. And so when someone gets up here and says, welcome to Port City, there's a lot of great people here, we don't necessarily mean by that great in the terms of powerful or famous or rich. We mean great in the sense that there are a lot of ordinary people here who will make you feel good about yourself. 
They may not be able to solve your problem or change your situation, but they can give you a word of encouragement and make you feel better than when you walked in. Now what are some ways that we can show respect in a disrespectful world? And you know as well as I do how disrespectful the world has become. And if it's becoming disrespectful in the South, which is known for its Southern hospitality, how bad must it be in like Minnesota? Or somewhere like that, if it's in the South. (laughs) Number one is when you speak, be tactful, not just truthful. Truthful is just half of it. The other half is be tactful. Be tactful, not just truthful. In Proverbs 15.4, it says, Kind words bring life, but cruel words crush your spirit. He's talking about tactfulness, about how you say what you say. And tactfulness is the key to great relationships. Now here's a key thought. People with tact don't have to retract. Generally speaking, I'm saying just generally speaking, you have, you don't have to eat your words as often if you use tack. Now what's tack? Well, for 25 years, I have been collecting definitions. And I have a file on my computer, and it has 43 pages of nothing but definitions. Like, I, I read something, well here's a good definition of love, I put it in there. Here's a good definition of prayer. These are some of the definitions on tack that I've collected. Tack is what you think but don't say. Tack is the ability to make a point without making an enemy. Tack is telling a person to jump off a cliff in a way that makes them look forward to the journey. (laughs) Have you ever had somebody tell you off with tack and you just walked away? I just feel good. I've just been told where to put it and I feel good. (laughs) Tack is telling someone he's open-minded when you really know he just has a big hole in his head. Tack is changing the subject without changing your mind. Tack is speaking the truth in love. God wants you to be truthful, but in a tactful way. People say, yeah, well, I, I, I just tell it like it is. I just tell it like it is. And I let the chips fall where they may. That's foolish. Because what you are saying is, I don't care about how the other person feels. Tack is asking yourself this. Why am I saying this? Is it to develop them or destroy them? Is it to protect their dignity or punish them? Is it to help them or harm them? Listen, if it's just to vent anger, then there's absolutely no value in that. And you can be tactful and truthful at the same time. A lot of times it's just in the tone of your voice. It's in the inflection that you use. It's the way that you look in your eyes, Adam. Two, when you're being served by people 
Be understanding, not demanding. When you're being served by people, be understanding, not demanding. That's the second way that we can show respect in a disrespectful world. One of the greatest tests of your character is how you treat the people who serve you. The waitress, the waiter, the employees, husband, wife, children, secretary. I read this story about a guy who is, he, he owns a large company and he, he's very wealthy, but it's, it's privately held. They don't have like stock or anything. It's privately held and they have several uh, positions in the company that deal with public relations. That is, their 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 image in, in the public is very important. And in this article that I read, he said that when it comes to hiring people for one of their their public relations positions, he does it personally. And and here's the method that he uses. He says he reads over the resume, but the resume actually means very little to him. What he does is he takes the person out to lunch, out to eat, and watches how they react to the people around them. Now what he doesn't tell them is he owns the restaurant. And so he has the waiter or the wait waitress make some kind of mistake, like bring the wrong order or spill some water on them or something. And he watches how they react to that. And based on that, he either hires them or doesn't hire them. That's an interesting method. Makes a lot of sense, logically. In Luke 6.31, it says, Do to others as you would have them do to you. Eric Hoffer, who was a philosopher who died a few years ago, he said this, Rudeness is the weak man's imitation of strength. It takes no intelligence at all to be rude. It's kind of like profanity. You can teach a parrot with a brain the size of a pea to say dirty words. Profanity simply means the person has a very limited vocabulary and is probably trying to cover up a lot of their ignorance. It takes intelligence and great character to be a man or woman of understanding without being demanding. The waitress at the restaurant she might have a couple of kids at home and she's a single mom and she's doing the best she can. It may be that there's only one cook when there's supposed to be three, so things are a little slower. Now, I'm not saying that no matter what happens, you accept it. Quite the opposite. You can say what you mean and do it in a way that is positive. Chris Lockhart was our first youth minister here. And we went out for a, a steak dinner together. And, and so I ordered it at well done, extra well done. And I said, I said, uh, not, I did not, I'm not ordering this well done. I'm ordering it extra well done. And I made him repeat it. 
I want two of those spike things in there when it comes. You know, those things they stick in the top of it. And so it came, and I cut it, and it was like me. Okay. So I took a few minutes. The guy came back. I said, this is not what, you know, what I ordered. And uh, he said, well, we'll take it back, and we'll get it right. I said, fine, fine. And so they took it back in about five minutes. Of course, Chris has eaten, and is halfway done. I told Chris, you can just go ahead and eat. Don't wait for me. And he didn't. And it came back the second time, and I sliced another piece, and it still wasn't wasn't right. I said, "Man, I said, I still, I said, I hate this, uh, but it's still, it's not, you know, extra well done." He said, "He'll take it back again." And so he took it back, and when they brought it the third time, it had been like thirty minutes had gone by, you know. And I said, "Why not? How about you just get it in a in a to go thing, and I'll take it because Chris is already done and he's ready to go." And so, you know, I'll, I'll just take it home. And he, and he felt bad. So he had the manager come out. And the manager said, well, how was the meal? I said, it wasn't what I ordered. And I was real nice. And he said, well, sir, I want to make it right with you. And so they gave me a free meal. And what I learned from that is this. Whenever I go out to a restaurant now, no matter what they bring, I say it's not right. <laughs> and if you do it twice, you'll get a free meal every time. So it's pretty incredible how that how that works. Now, the best place to practice this, being understanding without demanding, is at home. Because a whole lot of marriages are, are ruined by rudeness. And you've seen married people, they'll sometimes just make little digs at each other and you can kind of pick up on that or they'll kind of cut each other down. Unfortunately, the people that we tend to be most disrespectful to are the people that we love the most. And so we need to be understanding without demanding. And then number three is when you disagree with people, be gentle, not judgmental. Be gentle, not judgmental. Now, there are a lot of things in our society that I do not agree with and it makes me sick to my stomach. I want to throw up. So, how am I to react to these people? Remember two things. Number one, every individual will give an account of their own actions to God. Number two, nobody is accountable to me. Now, I may be your lovely and loving minister, but you don't pray to me. You don't confess your sins to me. I guess you could, but I couldn't do anything about it. You do that directly to the Lord. It is not my job to be a policeman and go around and make sure that all non-believers are acting like believers. The truth is, they can't until they get the power of the Spirit in. Romans 14.12 Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. You can be truthful without being judgmental. If I say to a lady who is pregnant, you need to stop snorting cocaine, it's a foolish, horrible drug habit. 
I'm not being judgmental. I'm being truthful. Well, what's the difference? This is the difference. Judgmental is when you beat a person over the head with the truth while two things are happening. Number one, you're enjoying it. And number two, you're feeling morally superior to them. That's the difference. It is true that sometimes people feel bad when you tell them the truth, but that's not your fault. That's just the nature of truth. The nature of truth is when you tell a drug addict to get off the drugs, it's not going to make them feel very good. Here's a key thought. You can disagree with somebody without being disagreeable. Jesus is watching to see how you treat the people that He died for. Remember that even the most despicable human being God cares about. I don't care about Charles Manson. I think they should have put the guy to death about 30 years ago so he wouldn't have to listen to all this rant and raving from prison that he does. But God loves him. And God wants him to be saved eternally. The greatest test for this is the family. That's where we learn the principles of respect. And if those principles are not learned, then they're going to have problems throughout life. But the good news is that it is a behavior that can be learned at any point, at any stage in your life. And so we need to be gentle without being judgmental. Number four. When you share your faith, respect, don't reject. Respect, don't reject. This is 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But, do this with gentleness and respect. I learned a very important lesson a few years ago. It's this. You cannot argue people into heaven. You can't like just get into a big argument and they're just arguing everyone into heaven. Believe me, I've tried it. And then I read James 1.20 and it rebuked me. Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. You know what that's saying? God wants you to be a shining light, not a blowtorch. Five. When people are rude to you, would you respond politely? When people are rude to you, respond politely. This is the principle in Romans 12. Don't repay evil for evil. Overcome evil with good. I read this story, and it's about this, this nine-year-old boy, and he's in Little League Baseball. And they had a game, and the other team beat him. I mean, really like whipped him totally and completely. After the game, the pitcher from the winning team came over to him and said, 
your team really sucked today. The nine-year-old boy looked the pitcher right in the eye and said, you pitched a great game. There was nothing we could do about it. And it took the pitcher totally by surprise. He was speechless and just turned and walked away silently. And when I read that, I was thinking, where did that nine-year-old boy learn that kind of tack so early in life? I'm going to give you three options and I'm going to allow you to choose. A, he watched it from, he, he got those from watching TV. Okay, I can see it's probably not that one. B, from surfing the internet. Three, at home. Alright, you've all got that. Here's Exodus 20 verse 12. Honor your father and mother that you may live a long good life. Respect for authority begins in the family. And one of the most critical lessons a child learns is how to relate to authority and show respect. If they don't learn those lessons, they will never be successful in school, in their career, in their relationships, in marriage. They will grow up with the attitude, nobody is going to tell me what to do. The truth is, you can't make it successfully in this world unless you learn to cooperate with people. So the Bible says, honor your father and your mother. I want you to notice that it says both. Now you'll be think, you'll maybe think, yeah, well both, yeah, well, yeah, of course it says both. Here's why that's significant. We are living in a society where divorce is very prevalent and oftentimes children are put in a position where they have to choose one or the other. Because mom says dad is bad and dad says mom is bad and the child is right in the middle of all of this and that's very sad. Because God wants us to honor both parents. Now notice what it doesn't say. It does not say, honor your parents' parenting skills. doesn't say that. It doesn't say anything about whether they were good or bad, effective or ineffective, hurtful or harmful, it says you honor the position. So it's kind of like the military. When we see a man or woman in uniform, we honor the position regardless of the character of the person who's wearing it. Now, if you had an abusive upbringing or a less than favorable upbringing, does God want you to ignore it and deny it and pretend like it never happened and say, Mom and Dad, I want to thank you for giving me a wonderful life. No. 
God doesn't want you to fake anything. He wants you to face the truth and deal with the issues so you can get on with life. And the way that you honor your parents, if they are alive, is by being honest with them. Now, it's a very simple concept, but it's often very difficult to do because in the parent-child relationship we have all of the, the emotions and all of the history together that's tied in. But here's what you do. You say, Mom, Dad, I want to honor you for all of the good things that you gave me growing up in your, in your house. But the truth is, I have some, I have some unresolved issues. I have some very deep hurts about things that occurred. And I have to get resolution to these things. If we can forge a new relationship, I would like that. But we're going to have to be honest and open with each other. Now that may be something that your parents respond to. It may be something that they don't respond to. If they don't, would you remember this passage in Psalm 27.10? My father and mother may abandon me, but the Lord will take care of me. Regardless of the hurt of your circumstances, there is a Father in Heaven who loves you. On earth, His family is called the church. And if you don't have a spiritual family at home, we would like to be your spiritual family at Port City. We are like any other family in that we are very, very imperfect. But we do welcome you here as a place for the healing of your hurts. We do care about you. We don't believe that God wants anyone to go through life alone. We believe that spiritually that there is power in numbers. We need you and you need us. Before Will comes up and leads us in the invitation hymn, would you bow with me, please? Father, would you help me to begin to, maybe more than I have in the past, accept and appreciate and affirm the good in my parents or in my spouse or my children? Would you help me to forge a new relationship if that's possible? Would you help me to be tactful and truthful when I speak, and maybe not just truthful, but tactfulness with the truthfulness? Would you help me to try to be maybe a little more gentle and not so judgmental when I'm talking with people who disagree with me? Would you help me to be maybe more understanding and not so demanding when people serve me? Would you help me to respect people more and not reject so much? When people are rude to me, would you help me to respond like, like Jesus responded with, with love? I know that the only way that I can be like you is through your love 
and through the power of Your Spirit in your life, in my life. So would You help me to think more like You and to help me treat people more like You treated them? Help me to follow Your example. Please forgive me of all of my sins. In Jesus' name, Amen. We're going to send a hymn. If you have a particular need, please let us know while we stand and sing.